Awesome. What a fantastic team we have here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Pip Taylor. And I want to tell you a story. Uh, when I was uh, 15, actually it started when I was 14, I had a part-time job on a Saturday. Six hours every Saturday morning, didn't get to watch Rage or Disney cartoons anymore. Went to my job at the local pharmacy. And uh, I did not love this job, I will tell you. Uh, lovely people to work with, you know, nice environment, air conditioned. But do you know how many people come into a pharmacy and ask the person who's standing behind a counter to diagnose what their problem is that really should be at a doctor's surgery? The amount of times, sir, thanks for showing me that rash. Could you just put your shirt down? Um, yeah, I'm 15, all right? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I, uh, because of that job, it meant that when I would spend any of that money that I earned, I never thought of how much it cost in dollars amounts, I always thought of how much it cost in hours of work. I earned $5.89 per hour, yep, remember that one. When I was 16, it turned to $6.01. <laughs> the one cent was pretty much just an insult. Anyway, so any teenagers complaining about your wages now, just, just relax, all right. Anyway, one day I was out uh, at the shops with my mum and we were at Country Road, her favourite store, but she'd never buy anything uh, that wasn't on sale. And I saw this blue sweater and I loved it. And it was the perfect colour for my eyes. And it was just, it was just, I loved it. And up until this point, the only clothes I ever had were either hand-me-downs from my sister or my mother or clothes my mother brought me that were just, you know, the very practical, that's what you need. And so I had money and I decided to use this money, 10 hours of my labour, to buy this sweater. I loved it. I loved it dearly. It just, it was perfect. It fit perfect. It was so comfy. It was lovely. It wasn't even on sale. That's how much I loved it. <laughs> anyway, a few months later, my sister had been overseas. Uh, I saw her again and she saw this sweater and said, oh, can I borrow it? And I thought, of course. I love my sister. Of course you can borrow this. You've got the same skin tone. It'll look gorgeous on you too. Anyway, a few days later, she came back and a bit sheepishly gave me this sweater back that was so stretched out, it would never retain, regain its shape again. It was now just like a cloth that hung limply. She had been hanging out with some friends and they'd done something funny skit or some kind of thing where they then took the clothes that they were wearing and like put the pants on their like shirt top and the clothes on their legs. So it got stretched out by her legs. And you might think this is a pretty silly story. Yes, in comparison to the grand scheme of what's going on in the world, yes it is. But I was mad. I was angry. I was hurt. I had been wronged. My sister had not respected or taken care of my property. And I felt that a great wrong had been done to me. Now, every single one of us in our life would have something, most likely many things, or many times where you have felt that a wrong has been done to you. Whether it was intentional or accidental, whether it was deeply hurtful or just mildly irritating, whether it was objectively true or something you perceived had been done to you, whether it was by a loved one or someone whose name you don't know. 
we all have experienced being wronged. Being wronged touches at something in our core. It, it goes deep. Even if it's a silly thing like a sweater, it goes deep. It goes against how we think we should have been treated. It goes against how we think others should act towards us, how we think the world should work. And I want, when we've been hurt, we want someone to hurt how we're hurting, to experience a disruption to our world like we've experienced it. We want to get some relief from this disruption, from this hurt, from this anger, from this upset, and we try anything we can to try and find some way past it. Well, if they suffer for what they've done, then I'll feel better. If they say sorry, but they really have to mean it, then I'll be able to get over it. If they pay some restitution, hand out some money for what's happened for the offence, I, uh, I will lose that pain in my life. We all have different ideas of how to solve these hurts, these wrongs. But I'm sure many of you would know through your life story or through hearing from other people, they don't work. Nothing solves the offence, the hurt, the wounds or the pain. I didn't need my sister to buy me a new sweater or to say sorry enough times. Even if she did, the hurt had happened and our relationship had become strained. My trust had still been violated and I needed to deal with that. It wasn't about what she could do. It's about how I needed to deal with it. The only way we can move past the offences and hurts and not pile more things into our bag of wounds is forgiveness. But the actual doing of forgiveness usually is pretty hard. In my 40 years on this earth, I have never met a person who hasn't had some situation where they have struggled to extend forgiveness to another person. I've met people who are really fantastic at piling things up under a rug. Oh, they're top notch. I've met a lot of people who have a list of people they don't have relationship with anymore but never one person who has forgiven easily and always. Well, except Jesus, but we'll get to him later. Every one of us here in this room or watching online will have struggled and may even be struggling now with some area where we are struggling to forgive another person, our own selves, or even God. And some of you might struggle and be alarmed by that statement. Forgive God? He's perfect. That's not right. How do we forgive God? But forgiveness is not about objectively resolving who did what wrong. It's about ourselves and letting go of something we feel has been done to us. And so even though God is perfect, we can take offence or feel that his actions have hurt us in some way we can still have anger towards him that we need to resolve. So too, we can have anger and lack of forgiveness to our own selves, unwilling to accept the forgiveness that God has extended to us. 
where we beat ourselves up time and again for our mistakes, our sin, our imperfections, our past choices. Sometimes the other person we've offended is even willing to extend forgiveness to us, but we, we don't want to accept it as that. We feel we've got to earn their forgiveness. Many of you will know whether it's from times that you have in the past struggled with unforgiveness or if you're struggling right now, when you can't forgive, you feel stuck. You feel like you're trying to move on, but you just can't. Like you're hauling around and striving with all your effort, but you've got a giant big sack of rocks and you just can't get anywhere with it. I think a lot of us want to forgive, but I think a lot of us are asking, how? Let's pray together today and ask God to help us in this. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are the God who has the answers of life for us. That Lord, if anyone here has wounds from the past or areas of unforgiveness, or just has even experienced some offence even in the past 24 hours, Lord, that is still niggling at them, that, Lord, you have the answers for us. You have a way forward that brings life and health where we are no longer bound. Father, I pray that today as we open your word, as we look to you, that you would be teaching and training all of our hearts. Lord, that you would be ministering to all of our hearts. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So psychologists, for those of you who go, well, what is forgiveness? You know, let's, let's, let's actually define that. It's generally defined as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a personal group who has harmed you regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. The Bible has 127 references to forgiveness in its passages, and it uses four main words for it. In the Old Testament, we have the word salah, meaning to practice forbearance, pardon, or forgive. It is never used between man and man, or person and person. It is only ever used from God to a person. The other word is nasa meaning to lift up, take away, bear up, or carry. It's this beautiful visual of what God does with our sins. The New Testament has two words as well. The first, afiemi. It means to release from legal or moral obligation or consequence, to cancel, remit, or pardon. It can also mean to go away, send away, to disregard, to let be. The other is trizomai, the word often used by Apostle Paul to emphasize the gracious nature of forgiveness. It grants a favor. It's gratuitous in kindness, pardon and rescue. It delivers. It's forgiving freely. Jesus had much to say about forgiveness, but one of the most standout passages is in Matthew 18, where Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? As many as seven times, thinking, look how holy I am, God. I'd forgive him seven times. But Jesus says to him, I say not seven times, but 70 
times seven. This was a phrase to mean an infinite amount of times. Keep forgiving. He then goes on to tell a parable about a servant who owes a debt to his master that is so large, it's impossible to pay back. The master, in his compassion, clears the debt of the servant, but as this servant goes on his way, he sees another servant who owes him a small pittance. And instead of extending uh, forgiveness of that debt, he has him thrown in jail and his family sold as slaves. And the master, when hearing of what happens, he rejects his earlier compassion and lets the first servant feel the punishment of what he owes the master. Jesus tells this story to show how we, through Christ, have been forgiven of a debt of offences far greater than we could ever hope to make up for. That the burden of sin, which is death, was removed through Christ paying the penalty, and we are forgiven by Almighty God. But that even with such great forgiveness extended to us, we so often do not extend it when another has hurt us when we, f- we feel that they owe us something or have caused offence to us. We do not give to others what has been freely given to us by God, but it's God's desire that we do so. Ephesians 4 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, similar thing in Colossians. Bear with one another, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God doesn't let us slide on this one. This is not one of those ones where God's like, okay, if you really can't, I'll let you go. He makes it plain that we cannot be people who accept the forgiveness that he's given and not give it to others. I think many of us want to forgive If not because God said so, then because we're tired of being stuck where we are, of carrying this giant burden every day, of having our present life still affected by things of the past. But as I said before, how do we get there? How do I forbear? How do I forget? How do I pardon? Do I just keep faking it till I make it? Maybe if I do that 77 times, eventually I'll finally feel like I actually have forgiven that person. But if any of you have ever been in that situation, you know that sometimes it feels like it's still this bag of rocks around you. I don't think the answer is faking it till you make it. I think the answer is found in the verses that we just looked at above, where it says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God has forgiven all of us far more than we will ever have to forgive another person. God has forgiven every sin, every violation we have done of his natural law, every abuse that we have done to his creation, both in nature and in people whom he made in his image. He forgives every dishonor we have done to him as almighty God, our creator. And so for us to forgive anything, we have to adopt his mind and operate in his strength. Let's start there. How do we have his mind? Well, we're told to renew our mind daily in Romans 12 too, by the truth of the word. 
So let's look at what some of that truth is. Let's look at the mindset that we need to be taking on as we think about how we are to forgive. First and foremost, he is the judge of all things. And it is his right and his right alone to mete out justice. In Romans 12, it says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God is the God of justice, not I. We often like to put ourselves up there, right? There's God, there's humanity, and I'm kind of just next to God here, judging what I'm seeing. But it is for him to enact punishment concerning violations of his moral law that he has set in place for everyone. For offences of law in our society, God has given us the mandate of law courts and laws where if someone does something wrong in society, they receive the due punishment for what has been given. Due punishment that's given. It doesn't absolve them of their actions, but it is the natural consequence of their actions. But if it's not punishable by law, then it's not that they get off scot-free. It's also before God that they must give an account. Our act of forgiveness doesn't depend on either the courts of law in our land working or on God meeting out his justice upon them. Our forgiveness operates independent of that. God will judge and he will deal with it. Second thing the truth tells us is that his love and his grace extends to everyone, no matter who. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses. God has compassion and mercy on people, not because they deserve it or we deserve it, but because of who he is. In Isaiah, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The Bible also tells us God does not repay repay evil with evil but turns the other cheek. In Luke, it says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. It tells us that God does not dwell or continue to bring to mind our sin. In Hebrews, it says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He doesn't think on our sins all the time or continue to tell others the story over and over about how that person wronged us. In fact, in Proverbs, which is where God is showing his wisdom to us, it says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. When I look just to myself, I just see hurt. I see the pain. I see the wrongs. But when I look to God and remember who he is and whose I am, my perspective starts to change. Instead of looking at a person who has hurt me or caused me offence, I see a person like me, an individual, faulty, scarred, made in his image and thereby having inherent value, I see one who has made mistakes and chosen to do the wrong thing at times. And just like I have at different times in my life, who can receive God's mercy and grace. And if Almighty God will not withhold their forgiveness from this person, then how prideful is it of me to think that I have a right to do so? 
I can start to come closer to forgiving and meaning it when I have his perspective, but I also need to operate in his strength by the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just about getting the right perspective. If it was just about the right perspective, then we'd be able to do a whole lot of things. We'd be able to forgive all sorts of things. But we need God to enable us sometimes because sometimes that hurt is so deep. Those wounds have gone so deep to ourselves that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us forgive. Many of you, in fact most of you I'm sure, have likely been hurt far more than a blue sweater being stretched out. I've heard many of your stories and I have grieved when I have heard them. I feel incredibly sad for the wounds that I know have been inflicted upon many of you. And I've seen many of you seek to show forgiveness in situations that anyone would struggle to forgive in. Some of you have gotten to those places where those wounds are just memories, but not your current reality. But likely also, some of you have tried in your own strength to get past it and forgive but you still feel like you're dragging that sack of rocks around with you. You still feel stuck. First of all, let me just say that God cares for you in this space. And he so longs for you to live in his freedom, where his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He longs to see you unstuck and running the race that he has put before you, unhindered. If you've been in this place a while, you probably already know you don't want to stay here either. The answer is not found in you and your strength and trying harder or that person apologising. It's found in God. It's letting go of looking at ourselves and our hurts and instead looking to God, who he is and whose we are, and allowing his Holy Spirit to have access to these places of unforgiveness so that he can work as he has promised he will. In Philippians, it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It says we can do all things through him who strengthens us. It says he can do more, immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is the Holy Spirit working through us. When we put our faith in God, we received the Holy Spirit. And for him to work in and through us, we just have to let him. We don't have to get an extra dose. We just have to let him. Let him change our heart towards someone. Let him change our heart to more align with God's heart about who that person is. Let him heal the wounds and hurts and offence. Let him strengthen our hearts to forgive any offence. And only if it is wise to do so, let him help us restore that relationship. We live in a culture where we celebrate victimhood. The culture all around us is always wanting to tell us that our identity is what we have suffered, how hard life has been, how big our struggle has been. If you don't believe me, watch any reality TV show and how they introduce anyone. When someone has sinned against us and hurt us and we can't let it go and we carry that sack of rocks around with us everywhere, we live in that identity of a victim. 
But that's not the identity we as followers of Jesus have. So let's turn our face towards him to remember what our right identity is. In 1 John it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we are called children of God. Our identity is not as what we have suffered or how we have been hurt, but as it says in Colossians 3, that we have been raised with Christ. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our story, all of it, the hurts and the joys, are redeemed daily by God and to be used for his glory. They're not for us to dwell on, in pity, but for us to live freely in praise. And too often we forego this freedom because we won't let go of our wounds. We won't let the Holy Spirit bind up and heal our wounds. But when we let the Holy Spirit work in our life, when we surrender our hearts, surrender our hurts, no matter what the outcome is for the other person, we find freedom where we are able to cut that tie of emotional baggage and victimhood that we've been hauling around. 2 Corinthians says this, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When I was a child, um, an older girl did something to me that scarred me for a really long time. A few years after that incident, there was another incident where I can remember hurting another girl. And I felt so ashamed and broken over this for so many years and could not forgive myself or receive God's forgiveness for it. I don't need to tell you the details of the story because that's not the highlight of this story. Although I've tried, I've never been able to receive an apology from the first girl who's now a woman like me. And I've never been able to extend an apology to the second girl who's now a woman like me. There may come that time. But in the meantime, I am carrying nothing around concerning it. I'm not stuck with these things like I was for about 20 years after them. It's because I did some business with God that didn't depend on either receiving an apology or being able to apologize for that. I was able to turn to him and work through what the truth of the situation and what his perspective was. And then let the Holy Spirit work in my life by opening my heart and making this area vulnerable, which is scary, I know. And having him help me choose forgiveness for the first girl and receive forgiveness from God, the great judge, for the second girl. I can tell you who I was back before this happened was someone with a whole giant bag of rocks and I felt so stuck. And after I did this, no matter, even though nothing has changed in my relationship with these two other women, I feel nothing. I feel freedom in this. For you to forgive, it doesn't require anyone else being present. It doesn't even necessarily involve any interaction with another person. There will come a time for reconciliation, if that's appropriate, But the act of forgiveness involves just the conscious choice between you and God. 
It's the choice you're making in your mind, in your heart, with God's help, to hand over the bag of rocks that you've been hauling around and inviting him to work by focusing on him and not your heartache. In the Bible, we're charged to not let things fester or rot in our hearts. And so even as I talk about this, and I, for some of you, what might be coming up is a really significant thing that you're struggling with in forgiveness. This is actually something that we can be doing as a daily practice in our lives. Because day by day as we go through life, we all have little wounds, have little offences that get caused to us. And daily we can actually have a response where we are choosing forgiveness for any of those things. They don't pile up in that sack anymore. In Mark 11.25 it says this, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Soon we're going to have communion together. It's the act that Jesus gave us to do to remind ourselves of what he did on the cross for us and how he took upon himself our sin, our wrongs, our offences to him and others and paid the penalty for all of it. And by his authority, we are forgiven, healed and restored. We no longer live under any shame or accusation of anything that we have done and all the offences we have caused. So I'm going to give you a chance right now to let go of that offence, whether it's big or small, whether it's been there for a long time or just something that happened to you on the way into church today. To invite God to work in your heart to help you forgive. If it's helpful to you, you can even write it down. As you came in, you would have found a little sheet of paper on your seat. Often when we make a deliberate decision, it is helpful to write it down, to do something tangible. If you don't want to participate in this, that's fine. Use it and make a little grocery list for what you need to buy after the service. No one's going to judge you. But if there is anything where you feel a bit stuck, where you feel like you're still dragging a bit of a bag of rocks around, to whatever level you're ready to invite God to help you in this, why don't you take that opportunity now for two minutes to give it to God? I'm going to give you about a few minutes. We're going to play some light music um, and then we're going to have this time of communion where we're going to remember that his act allows us to both live in the freedom that allows us complete forgiveness but also to extend it to others. Have this time in your seat just between you and God and I'll pray to wrap it up. Thanks, Dan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy to us. I thank you that we stand here or sit here completely covered by your mercy and grace, completely found in you, that none of our offences, none of our sin against you is held against us. Help us to extend that same forgiveness to those around us. And if anyone is really struggling with this right, right now, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just be being a balm to their soul, a comfort to their heart, 
that they know that they are not alone in this, but that you walk beside them in this. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.